Happy National Pet Month, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's what you'll be wagging your tail to in the Popping Collars feed for May 2022. The Popping Collars crew discuss our favorite filmed adaptations of popular books this month. Check out what movies we think are the pick of the litter. The PC Music Diary is back with a perfect song this month. I'll be talking about Main Street by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. The fur will be flying on an all-new Going On 30 when Greg and Betsy discuss Oliver Stone's conspiracy epic, JFK. On The Sacred Six, Dan Jocelyn Simatowski and Greg are back for another conversation about baseball and sacraments. Hear what these cool cats have to say about the scapegoating of Bill Buckner and our need for reconciliation. Finally, join Liz and me on the PC Book Club, where we recommend some new reads for you and your four-legged pal to curl up with. Thanks for listening to Popping Collars, the only podcast that keeps your and your pet's collars popped. Hello, this is Chris Arnold, and I was the guest on episode one of Popping Collars, and you're listening to Popping Collars. Leaves are falling all around. Time, I was on my way. Thanks to you, I'm much obliged. Such a pleasant stay. But not Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. In fact, it sits at that intersection with its thumb out, trying to hitchhike a ride into your heart. I am one of your hosts, your host du jour, Ricardo Avila, and I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. And with me are my three lovely, wise, cool, cooler than most of us co-hosts, Greg Knight. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't prepared to go first. I was I was thinking I was going to sit by the side of the road, hitchhiking into somebody's heart. <laughs> no one's but, picking you up. No one's picking you up, Greg. It's oh, very sad. You a little late, Greg, and now they've stopped. Come on. Uh, so, okay. So my name is Greg Knight. I am the uh, Associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. And when you were talking about hitchhiking by the side of the road, it made me think of... Uh, Betsy and I are watching my own private Idaho uh, right now for going on 30. And I was thinking of falling asleep in the road <laughs> while I was hitchhiking, which is what River Phoenix does in that movie. So uh, so that's what's on my mind is um, River Phoenix falling asleep in the middle River. of the highway while hitchhiking. He that's cute. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Also with me is Liz Easton. Liz, tell us. Hey, Gre- or, <laughs> hey Ricardo. Hey, other man on the podcast. Um, hi, I'm Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary in the diocese of Nebraska. And um, I had a major post-pandemic milestone the other week. I traveled for business via airplane for the first time in two hey. years. Cheers. It was stressful. Hold on, does this mean you've, have you traveled for, for pleasure? Two times I've gone home to visit my parents okay. post-vaccination. That was easy, direct flight, you know, a little vacay. But this was for work, and it involved transferring planes and early mornings. And, like, I just forgot how stressful this was. I think I'm not good at it anymore. And I had one of those moments where I was like, I, I'm not doing this again. 
I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm putting my foot down. So I did survive, but um, I almost cried once. Oh. I may have actually cried now that I think <laughs> it was tough. It was just really stressful. <laughs> what makes it stress? Is it, wait, is it the travel itself that's stressful or is it the COVID protocols that make it stressful? Well, I think to be honest, and I'm a real proponent of masks when it is necessary and good for the whole, but doing everything in a mask is a little harder. I think, I think that that sort of screws up with my perception, but it was stuff like, um, like timing, like everything took me a little longer than I remembered it taking and, um, transferring flights and flights getting canceled and postponed with weather and like all of that was just harder than I remembered. And all of the flights I was on, every single one of them was overbooked. So there's something about um, the airlines right now too. Yeah. That jet fuel is expensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, right. So whatever. I'm just saying it was really hard. Oh, Liz. Well, we're we're glad you're back. (laughs) It was a great trip. (laughs) Good. Back in Omaha. I sang karaoke for the first time. You guys will be so proud of me. For the first time in my since life the, since the pandemic. No, for my first time in my life. We had wow. What did you pick, Liz? Love yeah. Shack. Sweetest thing. No, I was a backup backup singer. It's a very supportive. What? Yeah, very supportive group that required a lot of backup for um <laughs> that journey. Like, don't stop believing. Okay. Yeah. And then also for Wilson Phillips. Hold on. Yeah, good one. Good job. Wow. Uh, and last but not least, definitely is Betsy Carmody. Betsy. Hey, I'm here. Alexandria, the Episcopal High School. Spring break is over. Definitively done because it has been crazy since we've gotten back. We've had like revisiting students come and come be at school and like all these families and kids who are their little hopeful, shiny faces about coming, you know, what will they choose us? Will they want? And then the end of this week is going to be family weekend. Oh, dear Lord. Right. <laughs> just feels like a lot. And I'm not sure when the zaring, but like, you know, I can just this feel is, what is the zaring? This is our May episode. So do you want our like future Betsy to give an update? On I how do. <laughs> I want, I can't wait for May because May Betsy, she is fun. She is fun. <laughs> She is freer. She's jettisoned a couple of classes. Her seniors are now in their externships. She's made it through Easter and Holy Week. She's the bishop's visits happened. We've hosted Special Olympics track and field finals. Prom has happened. Like, like, like she is fun. She is, (laughs) she's in a good place. She's like thinking, when are the Washington Nationals playing? Can I go to a game? Like, that she, I, oh, I miss her. Right? I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to intersect with her very soon. So that's kind of where we are right here. Religion and pop culture. Is that where you'll find it's her? It's the intersection <laughs> of, 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 of freedom from April and, and Betsy Carmody, your head chaplain. Like, we're right there. Right into the that's, heart. I'm excited for that. Yes. Nice. Betsy, your your May Betsy sounds like my June Ricardo, where I'm oh. hopefully in Europe, in London, <gasps> in Cambridge, in Bruges, in Amsterdam. Uh, gosh, I can't. I love Bruges. Bruges, I've never been there. What a great name. What a great name. Where is Bruges? Bruges. It's in Belgium. Oh. It's- Swing by Spain. Swing by Spain, Ricardo. I'll see you on the trail. That's uh, a little out of the way. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, <clears throat> Bruges is wonderful. 
they have swans in canals and you can take boat tours and they have awesome museums, art museums with Dutch painters. It's mm-hmm. like ridiculous. Great. And very romantic. Blue. Oh, do the swans try to kick your ass? Like if you're on the boat, like swans aren't nice. Like, are they nice there? Or like, what's the deal? I think they're trained enough not to mess. Oh. Yeah. Do you feed them and stuff? And they know not to mess with you. Like people not give them the bread. Boat. Not from the boat, but okay, uh, okay. I recall a Swan Island in one of the. That was like a little island. Oh, that sounds like a nightmare. Okay, all right, Swan yeah. Island. And we are being sent island. to Swan Island. Swan island. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, so great. Oh, so I don't know if this is going to come through in the final cut of this uh, episode, but we are loose and free and easy and a little punch drunk. Uh, So I don't know what you will be receiving, but I'll tell you what the topic is right off the bat. Some of you read books, some of you watch movies, some of you do both. Sometimes you even do both for the same book and movie. And often what you wind up saying is the book was better. And so we thought we would. have a topic this week based on book adaptations. Think uh, all those great 19th century classics that we love, like Oliver Twist and Anna Karenina and uh, Greta Garbo playing Anna Karenina and uh, Wuthering Heights. Oh, I could go on and on. But even Little today, Women. Yeah. Little Women. Yes. Catherine Hepper. Is that right? She that? Greta Gerwig. What are we been talking like about? Five different What's adaptations. <laughs> Okay, well, loose and easy, as I said. Have you seen a a movie that was based on a book? Have you read the book as well? And what did you think uh, in comparison? So that's all I've got to say. Am I missing anything? I should say. Well, then let's take it. Let's take it to the magic bag. Hey, the bag. It is well. Bag, 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 bag. Well, with my bag. Well, well, with my soul. Bag (laughs) has chosen. um, Oh no. Oh, no. It has chosen me. To go. Oh, no. You can oh, do it. Bag. Oh, I hate you sometimes. Has the bag betrayed you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a conversation with the bag before we got on this call? The bag must and not bag have liked being under the laundry detergent where I was storing the bag just now. Um, hey. Okay. So I had to make notes because famously I don't read books. So... A show about book adaptations is a little tough. So instead, what I did was I picked a television show that I knew was based on a book that I really liked. And that television show is called Station Eleven. Oh, there it is. There it is. Nice. Okay. Have I read the book Station Eleven? No, I have not. I know that it was written. Boo! (laughs) I listened to the book Station Eleven. Come on, guys. There you go. I know that it was written by Emily St. John Mandel. Nice. And uh, and I know that this book was recommended on an episode of Popping Collars at one time. Yeah, it was me. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, okay, so what can I tell you about Station Eleven? Station Eleven, uh, it's an end-of-the-world story about a virus that runs loose and wipes out uh, most of the Earth's population. Uh, however, there are some survivors that are left behind, including a young girl named Kirsten, and she is taken in by a kind man named uh, named Jeevan. What the world 
like this before. It's the speed at which this virus kills. Um, Chaos. I think this thing is really happening. You can see it out there. I can't stay here. It's not safe. I stood. Looking over the damage. Trying to remember the sweetness of life on Earth. But there is no before. Only now. I was late. You were early. Been adrift in a stranger's galaxy for a long, long time. I have found you nine times before. Maybe ten. And I'll find you again. There is no rescue mission. We are safe. It's a story about life in the middle of death. It's a story about hope at the end of the world. And that's what is great about the show to me and what may differentiate it from the book. Again, I have not read the book. I think that there are some places where artists in film have the opportunity and the tools to do things differently than how things are communicated in books and in text. I mean, when you have film, you have the ability to show moving images with sound. That's something that you can't do with a book. I mean, you can do it with your imagination, but the book's not going to come to life and show you what's in the text. You're going to have to sort of make those things up in your mind. And so if you're going to translate something from one medium to another, well, I think that you should have the freedom to adapt whatever the story is to whatever it is that that medium can best convey. You know, one of the things that always bothers me about adaptation is how it feels like the story can become a chain that can sometimes bind your actors and your movie or and or your television show in a way that it sort of makes it feel a little compromised. I think Harry Potter is a perfect example of that. Those movies are bad by the time you get to the end. And the reason that they're bad is because the actors that have chemistry with each other aren't being put together in scenes with each other. And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe your movie can actually be something different from the book. Maybe. Well, may I jump in now? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because this, so I have not watched all of Station Eleven. Something happened in, I've maybe watched three episodes. Something happened midway through an episode that foreshadowed that something very sad was going to happen. And at that, mm-hmm. wherever I was in my life at that point, I was like, nope. And I just stopped. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to see it. Um, so I will come back to it. But it is so different from the book. It is almost like when, um, you know, when a movie or a book or something is inspired by a true story versus based on a true story. It's like this show is inspired by that book. And I thought they did that really beautifully, that you can read the book and have experienced it and enjoy it and learn from it and not compare it to the show and vice versa. And that felt really rare to me 
I loved it. And I thought that the casting in the show was wonderful. My boyfriend, Gael Garcia Bernal, was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but like right now, I'm feeling, su- I have not watched the show yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling like supermatic Greg, he <laughs> hasn't done the book. And I feel I feel defensive of the book right now because I do think there's something really beautiful and haunting, poignant mm-hmm. about the book and the world that it describes. I actually did my first wedding up in that area in Traverse City. And like I have like all these all these memories of that area and I'm imagining them traveling. Like I have a very vivid life of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's a life affirming book. I have not crossed over into watching the show. So right now I'm in like Liz is in the middle. Greg is over there having watched the show, but not on the book. I have read the book, but not done the show. And I like, I don't quite know how to feel about it. I want to watch it, but I just haven't done it yet. I think ultimately the thing that I really wanted to think through is that it's, it's possible. And in my mind better when, if you're crossing into a different medium or if you're at adapting a book like do something different like i that's what i think because the in the in fact what the show does is that it reveals the identity of the prophet very early on it's not really like a a gotcha kind of like towards the end of the story and it also um it brings character relationships further into the story and so it's like it makes it interesting so that if i have read the book it's not that I have the outline for the show in my head while I'm watching it. I can actually watch it and be surprised at yes, what's sure. going to happen. And for that sure. is the is the sort of the ability to discover and the ability of creativity and art that I appreciate. Is like I don't need everything to sort of fall in lockstep with what I already know, right? Like if I if I just want to read that story, I can read that story, right? I already have it. So if you're going to show me a new version of this with the same characters, show me something that'll surprise me. They'll bring out an emotion in me. That's that's what I'm saying as far as adaptation goes. I have a loyalist streak, I think, when it comes to some texts. And I'm very invested in how they will be expressed. Sometimes it's, I think it depends on the narrative. Is it easier for me to hold it more loosely? Or there's some things that become cigarette cows because of wherever I am in that moment. Like there's something about that character or about that turn or about that thing that somehow I've become incredibly invested in. Like I'm sitting here thinking, like I suddenly had this flash while we were talking about all of this of the 55 and over active community where my parents live in North Carolina and walking the dog. Cause that's what I was, I was listening to this, <laughs> this, this book. Mm-hmm. And so wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, it, if I'm on a drive or from whatever you all know, listener, I'm a very committed audiobook person. It like, it weaves in wherever I am. And so like, I, I I'm curious to watch because I do really love a lot of these characters. You're a literalist, but, but it's, that's it's, the thing. Like, I mean, isn't it possible to love them in a different way when you see them in different ways? We'll it's we'll about, inter- well, I mean, it's just, I've never thought about it this way, but it is sort of about interpretation. I think it's one of the reasons that Harry Potter stuck so close to the text was just like people who are biblical literalists, there were Harry Potter literalists who could. But, it, ah. but, in, the, but in the way too, I felt like there, there wasn't enough space and room yeah. to really encompass the heart and love of that community. 
But I'm just saying that we don't tend to interpret contemporary texts the way that we do easily interpret ancient texts. True. You know what I mean? Like, I just because I am not a biblical literalist. Right. No, I know that. For the record. Right. (laughs) But this is interesting. Oh, this is a good kickoff, Greg. Thank you for this. Well, uh, you know, and and it should also be said, this is a fantastic show and you should watch this show if you get a chance. It's one of the best shows that was on television. The book's really good, too. Nice. (laughs) I don't want to take up any more time. Yeah, no, let's move on. Uh, Let's move on to... um, Textual literalist uh, Betsy Carmody. Because it's all on the theme. All right, here we go. So I had a real struggle with this because I had friends because I here's what I like to do. Listener, I like to and my sister is away on spring break in Puerto Rico. I did not have a chance to talk with her about what I might talk about. So I kept bringing it up randomly in social engagements over the last week. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of people recommending some things that I had read, but never seen or seen, but never read. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of Stephen King. People have a lot of opinions, especially mm-hmm. about like stand by me, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank. Yep. Lots of love for that. I have watched those movies multiple times. I've never read the short stories, the novellas that they're based on, but Richard Bachman got a lot of love. Um, as well as, you know, crime stuff like Sounds of the Lambs, things like that. So where I ended up settling, and I can credit my friend Chris for this because he's the one who brought it up. And I actually cannot remember whether I read the book first, or I should say, listen to the book first, mm. or did I watch the series? But this is an example of something that started with a gestation of a book and then moved beyond the narrative. It is not The Handmaid's Tale. I was about to say, is it The Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale is a strong contender in that area, but also similarly, weirdly religious-based, yet also apocalyptical at the same time. It's The Leftovers. Yes! (laughs) That was my choice. Shut up. Is it? It, I'll work it in. I've got got others. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. But it's it's written by... um, Tom Parada, I think that's how you say his name, right? He's written Election. He's written Mrs. Fletcher, which is that great um, Catherine Hahn show. Um, but he does kind of, he does teleplay, you know, screenplays and things like that, but then also writes books. And I was, I, I remember doing the book, reading the book, listening to the book, and just being fascinated by this world it created with one simple concept, right? And I think written on the heels of, you know, the Kirk Cameron endorsed left behind situation to then kind of take it in another direction. I love an Amy Brennan. I, you know, Liv Tyler, let's give this woman more work. Like she's just really good at this. Carrie Coon, who now, if you love Uh, some Gilded Age, love Gilded Age, she is great. Like it is, it is a great, oh, oh yeah. Margaret Qualey's in it too. Like it's, it is, it was, it's a quality acted show. It's well done. The cast is great. And I thought they did a nice job bringing to life the story and then saying, what would this universe look like if it just kind of continued for and, and what, what, what happens? So Betsy, awesome pick. Yay. Yay. I read the book before I saw the show and I liked it. 
Um, but I seem to recall, so if you remember differently, tell me, but yeah. I seem to recall the mystery is never resolved as to why all these people disappear. And it's more about the relationships and how people cope with what happens after. Mm. Whereas a TV show, as you said, I mean, it goes on for three seasons, mm-hmm. is it? Three. And yeah. it, it brings this whole apocalyptic thing to bear. And the Justin Thoreau character, he has these experiences where he dies and comes back to life on the show, right? Like mm-hmm. a number of times. I don't think that ever happens in the book. And so it's apocalyptic. It's like things outside this world bringing you know stuff to bear, alternate universes. I think the show was great. <clears throat> and I love the, the possible re- reason that it winds up giving. Do you remember? Can we spoil this many years later? It, the, this show last aired in 2017, Ricardo. Yeah, you can I feel like it. I feel like if people don't want to know, they'll just fast forward a little bit here. So you go. There for you it. go. Th- what I recall for the show is that they all went into some alternate universe, right? And Carrie Coon yeah. finds a way. She is great, by the way. She's so she good. She is so good in that show. You sending me those things is what got me through Hellfire and Damnation. The horrible Bible camp that Grandma and Pop-Up used to send me off to in the Adirondacks. It wasn't hellfire and damnation. It was Camp Holy Spirit. Potato, potato. <laughs> you were so young with the pigtails. <laughs> what were you, eight years old? I'm seven. Do you remember what you said to me when you put me on the bus? Brush your teeth. You said... You said that I was the bravest girl on Earth. And every time you sent me a letter with a new Matlip in it, that's who it was addressed to, the bravest girl on earth. I forgot about that. She finds a way into that alternate universe. And then later on, like an old age or whatever, he meets her again. She comes back to the regular universe, the regular world. And my sense is that she went back and she saw her husband and two kids or one kid and he had remarried and was living another life, and she couldn't find it in her to intrude on that life of his. So she came back. I just find that quite poignant. I mean, I, it really it blows open the whole novel itself, which is probably like 20% of what the show turns out to be about. So I loved it. I um, really briefly was dating this guy when the leftovers was starting, like we did not date for very long. We were not a good match. He was training for a marathon. So that tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) Don't date someone when they're training for a marathon. Like don't meet them when they're training for a marathon anyway, but he had HBO. So I think I kept it going a little bit longer because I wanted to watch. (laughs) (laughs) So I watched the first two episodes with him because I didn't have HBO at the time. And then, um, I've never come back to it. So maybe I should now. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. I think it's time to see whether it is well with my soul. Will Ricardo go last again? That's the question. I mean, it's been a long time, actually, since Ricardo's gone last, to be honest. Ricardo will go third. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) I can take it. Betsy, that was one of my choices, the leftover. And uh, what I was going to say was that I loved how, you know, it really took and fleshed out the series and made it or made fleshed out the book and made it a whole other thing. So that gives me one less choice uh, because I had about four things I wanted to talk about. Of course you did. Of course you did. But it was all to make a point. 
So I think I can narrow it down to just two. So that got me thinking, you know, you talked about Stephen King, somebody did, maybe Betsy did. In one instance, I think the movie does a better job than the book. And, and so I'll talk about that. And that's The Shining. What will it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. I'm not busy at all. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. You know, I can't remember a lot about reading the book, The Shining. I did read a book book um, in high school and I liked it a lot. But when I think about The Shining, there are so many vivid images from the movie uh, that my sense is Stanley Kubrick really took that story and threw, threw at us some intense images, surreal images that just kind of stay with you. The, the, in the image that sticks out for me the most is at the very end where they show that black and white photo from the 1920s. And there he is, Jack Torrance, um, Jack Nicholson's character in with all of those other people who are dead and he's toasting the new year or something that just freaked me out. It just felt like a level up of eeriness and I loved it. And all those ghosts telling him, you know, to be a man, are you really going to let her treat you that way? You know, all that mind game stuff that the, the haunted house is playing on him that makes him take a hatchet. And of course, a little boy, Mrs. Torrance, and uh, those creepy twin girls in the hallway who want to play and uh, they were murdered in the hotel mm -hmm. or something. And then the naked lady in that room. There's so much. And then the whole here's Johnny. And, uh, you know, the all work and no play makes Jack a dull. And there's so many scenes and it takes place in one hotel with three people ostensibly. But it's vivid and it's a little slow. At, at times, I think, but um, it's it's art. I think it's art, and I think the book *The Shining* is a well-written kind of pop masterpiece. But I I wouldn't call it art. So that's that's my pick, and I guess I can just stick with that. I just want to say about *Harry Potter*, the books were way better than the movie. So, Ricardo, obviously, I'm with you. Because clearly, uh, here is a director who has gone in a different direction from the book that he's adapting, right? We're talking so, about The Shining again here, right? Talking about The Shining. I'm going back to The Shining, right? leaving Harry Potter behind for a second. You know, I think that what offended Stephen King when it came to Stanley Kubrick's adaptation is that I think that it was a very personal story for King, you know, about him as a father and him as an alcoholic and drug abuser and what that was doing to his family. And so Jack Torrance having the ability to, you know, kind of come back from his madness at the end of the novel and blow up the Overlook Hotel 
is is something that Kubrick isn't really interested in. And when you see Jack Nicholson, you can't see him coming back from the madness that he's in, right? Like the only way out is death. I am a firm believer that, you know, whether or not it's in the script or not, once you see something on screen, once you see that Nicholson performance on screen, you know that you have an irredeemable character. You can't do what the book does because the movie's not going to allow you because the actor is not going to allow you to do it. So it's like, make the movie that you're going to make, right? Like, don't feel tied to the novel that that's i think that that's a perfect example of that nice i didn't i forgot that about the novel that he lives at the end oh uh, jack he blows himself up scatman Crothers' character lives though in the novel oh, it is not like in the movie <laughs> i like scatman Crothers. he is Just cool his name, you know? he is cool he does not save danny at all but he's, oh, he's cool no um, and I can't remember what my third choice was, so I guess that's for the best. So uh, it seems that uh, we can move on to our next choice, and there seems to be only one person left, and that is Liz Easton. It's me. Thank you. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. We've had some great, oh, there's my little tile. We've had mm-hmm. some great conversations. Um, Betsy already mentioned mine, so it's already oh. in the ether. Oh, I'm running out of batteries. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Plug in. We don't want we don't want to lose me at this important juncture. Mine is already uh, kind of in the ether because Betsy mentioned it, but similar to some of you, I there were a lot of movies that I hadn't read the book, a lot of books I hadn't seen the movie. Um, and then I started thinking, you know, obviously people always say the book is better. And there are some famous um, examples where that may not be the case. To Kill a Mockingbird comes to mind. A lot of people say that that's a better or at least as good of a film as it is a book. And it's a very good book. Um, Ricardo shaking his head. Um, They're both good. They're both great. Yes. But so I just wondered like, what, what is one that I could say with confidence that I really thought that the movie was better. And I think that that is silence of the lambs. Ooh. Yeah. And I know that there are some folks who would disagree, who would say that silence of the lambs is a better book than it is a movie. Uh, it's certainly a more complicated story as a book, but I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast. So listeners may remember that um, a sort of unfortunate pandemic rabbit hole I went down was reading all of the Hannibal Lecter books. <laughs> it was tough. It was a tough choice. I don't know why I did it. I I only watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time in 2020. I had never seen it before because it always seemed too scary for me, um, especially when I was a kid, but I finally sort of bit the bullet and I loved the movie. And then Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I wonder what these books are like. So I read all of them. So I think that in the genre of like thriller, horror, crime, they're probably pretty good books, but they're also like mass market books, um, super popular mass market fiction. And what I appreciated about the film silence of the lambs is it felt like it elevated the genre. Um, and I love it when that happens. And one of my favorite things to happen in literature is when, um, a genre like a thriller or a fantasy or whatever mystery 
is actually a, liter- a, a really strong literary novel. So it's sort of like great literary fiction masquerading as genre fiction. I love it when that happens, especially with crime and with thriller. So this is kind of the opposite of that. And um, the film, which was released only two years after the book was published, part of what was so great about it, I think, and this is one of the ways that a film, I think, can exceed a book, is that um, the performances were just stellar. Starline. Clarissa, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Crawford. Sorry to pull you off the course at such short notice. Your instructors tell me you're doing well. Top quarter of your class. I hope so. They haven't posted any grades yet. A job's come up, and I thought about you. They're not a job, really, more of an interesting errand. Sit down. Yes, sir. I remember you from my seminar at UVA. <laughs> you grilled me pretty hard, as I recall, in the Bureau's civil rights record in the Hoover years. I gave you an A. A minus, sir. Double major, psych and criminology, graduated magna, summer internships at the Reisinger Clinic. It says here, when you graduate, you want to come to work for me in behavioral science. Yes, very much, sir. Very much. We're interviewing all the serial killers now in custody for a psychobehavioral profile. Could be a real help in unsolved cases. Most of them have been happy to talk to us. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. See, the one we want most refuses to cooperate. I want you to go after him again today in the asylum. Who's the subject? The psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the cannibal. I don't expect him to talk to you. But I have to be able to say we tried. Like, I think oftentimes in your imagination, you can do a better job, at least for you, than a filmmaker can do with a character. But um, the character of Hannibal Lecter in particular is just, I think, one of the great performances, um, especially in a scary movie. Um, And Anthony Hopkins um, just does it perfectly for um, a character that only is on screen for like 10 minutes or something like Greg and Betsy, you, you guys talked about this and going on 30, right? We haven't made it to silence of the lamb. Oh, okay. So I think he's only in like 10 minutes of the film. Um, and it's his film. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is the character. There are of course, super problematic things about silence of the lambs, especially the way that they treat transgender people. Uh, it's may, it's maybe a product of its time. It's not very evolved. Yeah, I always thought that the movies also kind of have diminishing returns where it's like Silence of the Lambs is great. Hannibal feels like a cash grab as a movie and certainly as a novel. And then um, Red Dragon felt kind of unnecessary because Brian Cox actually did a really good job with the Hannibal Lecter character in Manhunter, which Mm -hmm. was more of an action movie than a thriller the way that it's it's kind of a cult classic now yeah but it's it's not a bad movie at all but it felt like they needed to do red dragon just so that anthony hopkins could complete the set you know Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing it stands alone it, it i think as a movie it doesn't it while it is part of a series of books that story is the movie doesn't feel like it needs to be part of a series and so much so that that idea of the young FBI agent coming to interview the serial killer about serial killing is um, 
sort of a trope that happens all the time. Now, it also happened in real life. You know, that was a thing that the FBI did through their when they began the process of profiling. They interviewed um, all kinds of serial killers to try to learn about that. So um, there's a little bit of real life in there, too. Like the show Mindhunter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know that in the movie, with only a very few exceptions, Jodie Foster's the main character that we're following the entire time. Um, And we're experiencing the movie through her perspective for the most part. So is the book written that way? No. So... She is a huge character in the book, but it's almost like there's a handoff. So the FBI agent that's in Red Dragon, I forget his name now, but the Edward Norton character, he's in the first part of Silence of the Lambs. Um, I I think that that's how it works. So there's this there are already these kind of like FBI characters that you're like picking up with again. And then now this is sort of their next involvement with Hannibal Lecter has to do with bringing in this young agent and then from the rest of the series forward it is about clarice so it's like part way through silence of the lambs and then into the other so that's that's interesting to me because so much of the film is shot around how male characters look at her mm-hmm. and i think jonathan demi does that intentionally and it's how hannibal looks at her and how scott glenn looks at her and how you know, the how all of these different characters, you know, sort of either look down at her, look condescendingly at her, look lustily at her. It's all about that. And so it makes me wonder, like, how much of that is captured on the page? Right. I think that the film, like, if you take it outside of the literal of the storyline, it is also about the horror that women experience in all male environments. Like in that sense, it's a horror film too, mm-hmm. that she um, like, there's some really smart ways, like how it begins with her running through the woods. And at least for me, the first time I saw the movie, I knew nothing about it really. It, I of course thought that she was being chased by a man in the woods because that's what they evoke. But you know, she's training um, to be an FBI agent. And when she gets into the elevator and she's this small person sort of surrounded by towering men. And, and there are places where she takes a ton of agency. Like when she tells her supervisor, like, listen, the way that um, you talk to me is how all of these other men are going to learn how to talk to me. Like right. you need, you need to respect me here. So from a film perspective, that was done really beautifully. And as part of the, um, the fear and the dis-ease of the film is about her experience as a woman in this environment as much as it is about tracking a serial killer. I need to see that again. Yeah, it's so good. But it's so horrible. Like, sometimes I think, like, what do I want to watch tonight? Oh, maybe I'll watch Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like, what are you thinking? (laughs) But it's such a good movie. Yeah. Liz, I don't know. I I sort of, I'm feeling a little weird about you reading all those books. Yeah, it was weird. Why do you read those books? Aren't they freaky? And It was a weird time. It was a weird time. Exactly. It was a weird time in early 2020. I don't know what I was doing. I think I was giving myself a break from the type of reading that I usually do. And I didn't anticipate it being as dark as it was, but it was not a good decision. Nah. Hey, can I say a couple of non sequitur things about books and movies real quick? 
Yes. Thinking about these, um, speaking of Anthony Hopkins, I remember reading The Remains of the Day, Ugh. and that book was sublime. And I can't even describe it. It was just like a, I don't know how he, how, I just read um, Clara and the Sun. Yeah. The, book, the, the latest, I think, by Kazuo Ishiguro. Mm-hmm. But the remains of the, and that was great too. But the remains of the day, it's like not a ton happens, but you're riveted. And I don't know what it is in his writing. And the movie was good too. And, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a very good movie. Emma Thompson. Hopkins, yeah. Hopkins. I mean, just the name of that project is so elegant and minimal at the same time. Remains mm-hmm. of the day. Anyway, I can't remember the other books. So there we are. Um, are we done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a chaotic episode. Oh, Lord. Uh, so that's it for our episode on book adaptations. What's your favorite book adaptation? Do you think the books are always better or when they're not? Why not? Let us know by how do they let us know what they think? <laughs> Well, how do they I mean they can email us at poppingcollegepodcast at gmail.com. What Greg just said you can do because we know you've got a favorite book adaptation you want to tell Dr. Zhivago, for example. And you have email. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you have email. So please do email us. And um on that note, or no, before that note, to continue that note, uh, you can find Popping Collars wherever you find your podcasts. In fact, if you're listening to us and hearing this, you already know how to find us. So this is redundant. <laughs> so and um, we are the longest running Episcopal podcast in the universe. Mm-hmm. The and universe. Number what? 17 in Romania for spiritual <laughs> popping pop culture podcast. I, mean, I guess. Number one. Number one. In number Romania. one, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's a long way of saying thank you for listening. And I would like to uh, thank my co-hosts who are always great. We will see you next time. And until then... Keep those collars pop. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. Good job, Ricardo. Good job. That was... Oh, thanks to Episcopal Cafe. We we love Episcopal Cafe, and we know you will, too. Uh, So go there for all your Episcopal needs and a cup of coffee. (laughs) Is that good? Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Just in the darkest depths of Mordor, my metal. But got him at the evil wall, crept up and